What's up, everyone? Welcome to Security Squawk Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Horning, here with Ryan O'Hara, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. Ryan and Randy are coming to us from a secret, undisclosed location, <laughs> as you know, when they're in hotel rooms. Um, but welcome to the show. Uh, real quick, a couple things before we get into it. The four of us, uh, we don't get paid for this and we don't bore you with ads. We just bring you the goods. So do us a favor, share out our show. Remember to tell your friends and family, share it on your social media. More importantly, rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you could leave a comment, letting people know that this is a worthwhile podcast to listen to. We appreciate that very much. It helps not only the show grow, but it also helps people, uh, get this information, which we think is important. So today's show, we're going to kind of go rapid fire here through a bunch of topics. We have, um, we want to update you on kind of what's going on with Costa Rica, because there's some interesting developments there. So we'll, we'll let you know kind of what's going on since the last time uh, we, we, we were together on last week's episode um, and let you know what's happening in Costa Rica and potentially what could be happening with other countries. So, um, and then we also have another cyber attack against a school up in Michigan. Um, we had one last week and now we have another one this week. We're going to touch on that briefly. Uh, and then we also have a state insurance, I guess, agency. Um, I don't I know exactly what it was, but something uh, down in Texas was not secured properly and a bunch of information got released. So we're going to talk about that and why that's important and why you could potentially have something like this in your own business. So, um, and then we got some interesting data in a proof point report around cybersecurity that we want to share with everyone that kind of paints a really nice picture of where we are at with cybersecurity here in May of 2022. Um, and maybe where we need to go and how much more we need to do. So we'll get into all that today. Without further ado, let's just jump right into the update on Costa Rica. Um, Andre, what's going on in Costa Rica? Um, give us an update. Obviously, we know they got hit with a massive ransomware attack to kind of bring everybody up to speed. Last week's show, we covered this, that they were hit with ransomware and it spread through multiple agencies uh, throughout the government of Costa Rica. Um, they were not able to contain this attack within like one agency. It spread through multiple agencies, really bringing down the government. What's going on in Costa Rica? Yeah, so we're talking almost a month now that this that they've been going through this and the ransomware group Conti um, wrote, and I quote, we are determined to overthrow the government by means of a cyber attack. We already have shown you all the strength and power you have introduced an emergency. So they are literally saying that they want to get rid of this Costa Rica uh, government and the president. And previously the ransomware um, was 10 million and now they're uh, bumping it up to 20 million saying that if they don't get paid soon, they're going to delete the uh, decryption keys, which would now make it uh, nearly impossible for them to ever get back their information. So this is a big uh, blackmail that they're doing now. And some of the things that I've been reading is, is, is do we know who's behind this? Is it Conti? Conti, yeah, Conti. 
That's what I thought. Okay, so I read somewhere along the way, and I don't know if this article goes into the detail of it because it seems uh, pretty uh, pretty high level, but I've heard that this Conti group, and chime in if anybody knows anything about this, but they are basically using this as a test case to prove to other governments that they have the ability to do this and that whatever vector or vulnerability they were able to exploit to to initiate this, they are claiming that they can do this to other governments as well. Any insight? That was going to be my, my question looking at this yeah. was, you know, I, I saw that they said that and I was like, yeah, but is that really the reason? Are they, you know, because typically we're, you know, when we look at these kinds of things, they're they're clearly after the money. But so, are they just blowing smoke, or are are they really looking uh, to to overthrow governments? And and do they have that capability? I mean, the other question here is, uh, you know, if they delete those those encryption keys, uh, then did did Costa Rica not have any type of backups? Did this vulnerability impact their backups? I mean, there there's still a whole lot of question marks out there. Yeah, and then also, you know, are they um... Typically, these guys are just after the money, but, you know, because of the situation in Ukraine and, you know, which side of the fence that Conti's on, you know, are they now trying to do a little more disruption, you know, maybe as a payback for Ukraine? That'd be a question that I would have. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit last week on the show, but it, it, I mean, it, it just it, it's an interesting twist to what we've been following for many years now it's it's an attack on a government which typically we don't see with private ransomware groups like this usually these states go state sponsored attacks go after each other right and and the cyber criminals go after private businesses now you have a private cyber criminal group going after a government and almost flexing and saying you know we can do this to other governments does that then attract a certain nation state to begin working with these private cyber criminals? Is, is this a flex to, you know, in the same sense where when cyber criminals go down, a lot of times they get arrested, they do time and they get hired by the government. The NSA is notorious for doing this. Um, <clears throat> taking the dark people from the dark side and, you know, bringing them into your organization to do harm. Are we on the horizon of this kind of, I don't know, I don't even know what you want to call it, marketing in a way, right? Hey, look at, we can do this, now come hire us and we can, you know, help your governments. I just got to think like with all the things that are going on out there, guys, from a geopolitical standpoint, with sanctions and things like that, governments like Russia are going to be looking for ways mm -hmm. to make money. Um, and this is certainly one way if you can hitch your trailer onto a very successful ransomware group, um, you know, this could basically be the beginning of where we see private, you know, hacking groups become part of, you know, a military complex for certain governments. I'd even take it a step further and say, are we there already? I mean, there, there's been rumors that Conti has back channel connections with uh, the Russian government as well. I mean, who knows? They, they, this is an area where they've been kind of leniently allowed to operate pretty freely. Um, you know, what, what's to say that, that they're not able to do that because they have some back channel connections that aren't public either? Yeah, and the FBI has a $10 million bounty on them right now. 
I mean, can you imagine if a, a U.S. city gets this attack and, and now they're telling a, a public official to resign, to step down, or else we're going to destroy your city? Like, it's unimaginable here in the U.S., but but it's very possible. Yeah, it's it's unimaginable, but it's not out of the question. It's It's a little crazy, but, you know, it's only crazy because we haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. The other, like, the other thing is, is, you know, I look at, you know, our government has been known to work with private businesses in, in military situations, right? Where, you know, private companies have maybe ex-military guys that have retired from the military. They work for a company and then they go into a country as contractors to provide, you know, forces, you know, to our U.S. government as contractors and not through the military soldiers. This is something that's been going on for, for many, many years. Um, it's interesting to me that we're kind of going in this direction with cyber criminals and hacking and all that stuff where we're going to be potentially seeing these groups hired by governments to, you know, try to do things like you guys are talking about, remove people from power, um, you know, just damage a government. Or if your economy starts failing, this is a way that you can get money into your economy. I'm not saying it's right, but it's obviously a a thing that these governments are going to consider moving forward. Um, You know, especially if you need things like dollars, you know, to pay off your debts um, and you can't get those dollars. And this might be one way that you can get those dollars, right, Um, is is through these types of attacks. So um, it's almost like a perfect storm, gentlemen, for for what we deal with and what we do on this show and, and what we do in our businesses is that, you know, you got a lot of different factors playing into the fact that this is only going to get worse. And we're going to show some statistics towards the end of the show that back up what we're talking about and, and back up what we're kind of saying here is, is like, this is, these are, this is a very dynamic and fluid situation, cyber, attacks and cyber criminals and their behavior and that's why we do this show is to keep everybody kind of on the front edge of this so they understand how quickly things are turning and how new tactics are being adopted um at a constant rate i mean what was being done six months ago wasn't being done a year ago and what was being done a year and a half ago wasn't being done two years ago this is quickly evolving and changing and the dynamics of this and who it affects and who's involved is, is changing almost every day. So, I mean, just think of all the ransomware groups and how quickly they change their names and and affiliate affiliations with different groups and things like that. It's pretty wild. So anything else you guys want to add on Costa Rica? So, so Ryan, we're going to jump into this one. This is because this is up your way. Um, Kalamazoo, Michigan. I actually, Went to a wedding there when I was a kid. I lived there for a few years when I was going to Western Michigan University. So it looks uh, like yeah, we got a, another community college under yep. attack. Not surprised. Small school. What's going on in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan? What, what's going on in education, I think, is the question. This is, what, yeah. the fifth one that we've seen in the last couple of weeks? Uh, so not a whole lot of news on this one yet. Um, still kind of a developing story. Uh, they have cl- canceled all of their online classes until further notice. Uh, they are uh, still doing in-person, which is different than some of the other stories that we've seen, where they basically uh, locked down everything. Um, 
but yeah, there's not a whole lot of information here yet. Um, I, I think the, the other interesting thing, aside from the, the rash of these uh, education institutions uh, that have been hit recently, is, is just the timing of it. We, we talked a little bit about this during uh, when, the, when the first one hit, I think. You know, this, is, this is nearing the end of a semester. So you know, this is a, a key time for these types of universities. So, so shutting things down at the end of a semester, uh, particularly uh, you know, this semester where you know, a lot of students are getting ready to graduate and move on, um, it is a really big deal. So it gives them that uh, incentive to, to pay and, and to recover. And I think that's one of the things that the attackers are looking at. Yeah, yeah the, other, the other thing too, we mentioned before, it's, it's not a graduation time, but this is about when the schools start focusing on enrollment as well. And that's mm -hmm. the big thing that we're yeah. seeing with a lot of these colleges is they can't collect money. They can't do enrollment. So what were you going to say, Randy? Um, just just that, um, to, add, to add on to what Ryan was saying, this whole thing with education, especially with colleges, they need to be taking extra double, triple, quadruple pr precautions because we've got these cyber criminals that are now offering large, huge sums of money to get access into networks. And we know that high schools, colleges, there are, especially high schools, we hear this a lot, at least I hear it a lot around here, um, high school students figuring out how to get into, you know, this or that, and, you know, at the school or whatever. And, you know, in light of all that, in light of the changing atmosphere out there with cyber attacks, you know, going through the roof, it's really important that education gets, gets secure. And it's really important that they, they lock their stuff down and they can't just look the other way anymore. Um, they can't just stick their head in the sand. They got to attack this issue straight on. I agree. Anything you want to add here, Andre? No, uh, we know last, you know, last week we talked about the other college going down. So it's, um, and we know about the FBI threats as well. Um, about five months ago, they were warning colleges. So there's no excuses at this point. Well, we're going to show people all the excuses that businesses have <laughs> here in a minute, but so Randy, down in Texas, and guys, we see this quite often. This is not a this is not a rare event, um, especially with the advent of cloud. Um, not to say that you have to be in the cloud for for this to happen to you, um, but I, I've heard about like you know these things called AWS buckets and and just. SQL databases, MySQL databases, like just not nobody putting two cents of thought into, you know, did we get rid of the default usernames and passwords? Did we, you know, leave something, a port open or, you know, a pathway to get to that data from the Internet um, that maybe isn't secured too great? These are like you wouldn't think that these things happen, but they do. Um, and that's kind of what's happening here in Texas. So Randy, educate us on, on what's going on in Texas. Well, so uh, first thing, um, this is the first iteration of this news cycle release. I'd for basically workers comp, things like that. Their, their information was leaked um, over the course of almost three years. Their information was leaked. Um, we're talking things like social security numbers, addresses, date of birth, phone numbers, information about their injuries. Like this kind of data is huge and can be manipulated if it gets into the wrong hands. 
can be manipulated in almost unimaginable ways where phishing emails, you know, could be basically directed, targeted towards individuals, you know, based on the injury they had or whatever, you know, and any the, the more like personal information you, you would include in an attack like that, the more likely it is to be successful because people lower their guard down. You know, if they get an email, it's like, hey, user, their guard is up. But if it's like, hey, Randy, you know, with some personal information, their guard might go down. But bottom line, what happened was the database was open to the Internet for almost three years. And it's a little um, it's it's a little unclear if the state knew about it, um, which would be kind of a big deal, um, because if the state knew about it, if this particular um, part of the state knew about it and then didn't release it, it says that um, there was an audit and that's when they made it public. It's not real clear. Like, I don't know that the person that wrote the article was worrying about this, but it's not real clear if they knew before. Texas has a breach notification law. Um, we've got a breach wall of shame, if you will, now. Um, so um, I'm not sure if they knew about it. If they knew about it and didn't let us know, um, that's an even bigger deal. It's very hypocritical because we have that law. Um, but you are talking, you know, the law was passed by the people's representatives, you know, versus this is the bureaucracy of, of government. So the bottom line is the it was it was basically a vulnerability. The data was available. They've not said in the article yet, you know, was any actually stolen, but they have said we're going to give everybody one year of credit monitoring. <clears throat> Excuse me, because we all know that after a year, the data is old and <laughs> bad guys would never go and use it, which I'm being sarcastic. That's yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the whole the one year credit monitoring is kind of like the default thing, you know, knee jerk reaction right now. But. Um, you know, we just, again, we need to do a better job of, of, of these things, right? Uh, like everybody does from top to bottom, right? These are the things that, you know, a low level employee may have done, right? Just, Hey, I know how to set that up. Yeah. You know, and they, yeah, they got it working high five, woohoo, but you left it exposed for the entire world for three years. I mean, that's what we see. It's typical, right? Um, especially in government, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, that's where I, I see a lot of these missteps and mistakes with government because, you know, I'm not saying everybody in government's not qualified, but you come to a lot of situations where somebody has a certain job in IT or security and, you know, they might not have might not have the formal training or the skills that you would necessarily see if it were private business. And, you know, somebody got moved there because they had an opening and, you know, whatever, whatever, right. And politics gets involved and this person has this job where they know just enough to be dangerous. Right. And that's why we have that term in this, in this business. Right. Because yeah, you got it working, you got it up and running, but you also left it exposed. So and, that, and that's why, I mean, we use that term all the time. This person knows just enough to be dangerous, right? Um, they know enough to get it working, but they don't know enough to secure it and make sure that we don't have a problem like this. So, Well, on, on top of that, I mean, just, just to your point earlier, a lot of things have changed over the last couple of years. So this is a three-year period. Why was there nobody looking at this stuff and kind of reviewing this information, looking at what was out there uh, to catch this sooner? 
Right. And it's, you know, it's a matter of time before these states get the proper resources in place. I know the state of New Jersey, um, they, they stood up a cybersecurity arm, part of Homeland Security for the state of New Jersey. Um, and it, it's been a slow roll. They've been around for a couple of years now. Um, and now they're just starting to get into actually doing risk assessments and things like that on different state agencies. Um, and I don't want to reveal too much, so I'm trying to watch my words here. So, um, but I do know that certain state agencies may have been running a deprecated operating system up until a few months ago, right? And it was because of uh, what's known as NJ Kick, the cybersecurity wing uh, that I was talking about. Um, that's an acronym. But that's, you know, they went around all these state agencies and basically said, you need to get Windows 7 out of here. Um, and, you know, but up until a few months ago, which, guys, what, how long has Windows 7 been gone? Like, been a thing you shouldn't be using? It's been, yeah, what, two or three years. Three years mm -hmm. now. Um, you know, and you still have a state, you know, agencies using Windows 7 out in production, out in the field. Um, and, you know, it's good that you have this oversight group now in the state of New Jersey. I would imagine something similar probably happened in Texas, right, where some agency is now taking the lead on cybersecurity, making sure that these agencies are doing the right thing and coming out to them and saying, okay, you, you, you have a drop dead date of this date to get rid of the, these systems. Um, and action starts to happen when that, that, you know, I know that in New Jersey, if it wasn't for New Jersey kick doing this to these agencies, these agencies would have gone as long as they could with windows seven. Um, probably until there was a major breach like Costa Rica, <laughs> you know, taking down New Jersey. Um, so, and you know, I think that's a good segue into our next topic, which is this proof point, uh, the Yahoo article that highlights a proof point report. And there's some really uh, interesting data in this report that I kind of want to highlight. And I'll just talk, I'll just throw out each bullet point and read into it a little bit. And then I just want to kind of, you know, hear your guys' opinions and comments. Um, but out of this 2022 CISO report, where I believe they uh, they surveyed 1,400, they're calling them CISOs, they're probably not. Um, they're probably more like CIOs or IT directors um, at mid to large size organizations across different industries in different countries. I think there were like 14 countries involved. The other interesting thing to point out is, is that these were these were middle management type people that were asked, not frontline workers, not board people. And, and, and that's going to um, foreshadowing why I'm saying that for a minute here. But one of the important things that came out of this is that CISOs are more confident about their cybersecurity postures, um, you know, they're saying after two years of unprecedented disruption, which I don't think that that's slowing, slowing down or coming to an end. We're just kind of dealing with it for two years. It's been longer than two years. It's just since Colonial Pipeline, it seems like that's really where they've been kind of like, okay, there's been some attacks before Colonial, but Colonial was about a year ago. Um, so they're calling this like a two-year thing. I've heard it referred to that before. 
Um, but now CISOs are saying they feel more in control of their environment, fewer than half, uh, fewer than half, about 48% feel their organization is at feel that their organization is at risk of suffering a material cyber attack in the next 12 months. That's down from 64% of last year. Um, is that a false sense of security in your guys' opinion? What do you guys read into that data right there? I definitely feel that's a false sense of security. I mean, I, I would think, you know, in those positions, you need to be planning for the the likelihood of an attack, not not talking about how you think you're, you're, you're safe and secure. No matter what you're doing, you know, nothing's 100%. So you constantly need to be on guard, in my opinion. Right. So basically, last year, 64% of pieces that were surveyed felt like they were they were at risk. And now that's it's basically down, uh, you know, 14% or so. And I just don't I mean, you're like I was saying to you guys in the green room, I think like organizations are starting to do something. Right. So because they start to do something, maybe they implemented two factor, maybe they implemented a security, an actual security and training awareness program, maybe a couple other things, right? That's kind of what I mean by false sense of security. It, it, it's all relative, right. right? They're doing more than they were doing last year. So they feel a little bit yeah, better. Right. And until, until they get punched in the face and it's mm -hmm. like, Oh, well, we had endpoint protection. We had multi-factor. What happened? How did we suffer an attack? And then they learn, like, you know, that's not everything you need to do. Go ahead, Andre. Oh, no, I was just agreeing with what Ryan said. Right. Yeah. And I was going to say, you know, to go all Neil deGrasse Tyson on you here, um, the disturbing thing is that half the people aren't feeling secure. And we're talking about the, the CISOs here. Um, that's the disturbing part of this. Yeah, the numbers changed a little bit, but we're still talking half, half roughly half of all businesses. Um, so that's a that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too, with, with this data is, is to, to remember that this is medium and large size businesses. I, I think there's a really uh, big disparity between that size of a company okay. and the smaller businesses, too. So, yeah. like, you know, these guys yeah. are feeling 50 50. Like, where are those smaller businesses at? They're, they're still that low hanging fruit. 100%. I mean, again, you're right to point out again and highlight that this is medium. These these companies have the budget um, and it's less about talking about dedicating a budget for this stuff at this level, where small businesses, you're still asking these businesses to dedicate a budget to this stuff, right? Like you got to you got to start spending money on this stuff. And that's, that's where these conversations are having. And again, you don't have a CISO or a CIO if you're a small business. I mean, well, and, uh, and it's nice to see that the, the, the trend for these medium and larger sized businesses is improving because that's going to eventually trickle down and, and, and start allowing those smaller businesses to realize, Hey, we, we need to start doing this too, if we're going to survive. Yeah. And I, and I think this kind of highlights also um, convenience over over security because these CISOs know what's wrong in the organization. They know what they need to do. But when they go to the boardrooms and say, we need to you know, pull the Band-Aid and the first thing the executive is going to say, it's going to cause disruption, it's going to lower our profits, it's going to cost too much overtime or whatever. And um, they just have to gradually do these changes based on the work environment. So the next stat is a good one. I really like this one. Um, all right. I don't want to spend 
too much more time on this article, uh, maybe five minutes or so. Um, but there's a lack of consensus among CISOs at the most, uh, as to the most significant threats targeting their organization. And I just found this mind blowing because it's, it's relatively equal based on what they think. Right. So to me, this says, we don't know where the hell we're going to get hit from. Like, like we could get ransomware. We could have our cloud accounts compromised. We could have our, our business email compromised and we could be DDoS attacked. Like, and, and it's pretty much split four ways, you know, probably, you know, but it's basically saying, you know, uh, the 31% uh, were insider threats, DDoS attacks, business email compromise, cloud account, cloud account compromise was 30%, right? So something being compromised. And then the other 30% was ransomware. So, and that's actually 28%. That's lower than insider threats, right? So CISOs are, are starting to understand that the employees are a problem, not only from getting tricked, being compromised themselves, but then just deciding like, hey, I'm going to, you know, go start my own business and I'm going to steal information or, or, or whatever. Um, but they're starting to look at employees as a threat more so than they are ransomware as a threat. Like they think their bigger problem is the people that work for them and not the cyber criminals that are going to attack their network and deploy ransomware. Do you guys agree with that? What do you, what do you think about these numbers? A hundred percent. I think the fact that those numbers are so ridiculously even, I mean, they're like within a couple percentage points, like, right these attacks can come from anywhere like and, and you have to be prepared for all of this you know you're you're on a the, the cyber battlefield you know you cannot see what's coming you need to be prepared for every single one of these things because you know you never know yeah it's almost like it's almost like i can't rate any of these higher than the other you know what i mean it's like they're all equally gonna kill me one day yeah and that to me that kind of communicates i get this kind of sense of lack of knowing like we don't really understand so it's dark and we have a shotgun and we're just going to shoot out in the dark in the shotgun with a shotgun not really knowing exactly what this is going to be what it, and that's that to me is a little disturbing you know um if that's true yep and then moving right along so remote work obviously a big challenge for CISOs and in, in these um mid to large companies um, and they feel like they're becoming better equipped to deal with those things in 2022 than they were in 2021, as similarly, as we saw with the security posture, 66% believe they were unprepared for a targeted attack in 2021. And that's down about 50%, down to 50% this year. So roughly 14, 15%. So it's probably the same organizations, right? That their, their, their cybersecurity posture is maturing. So they feel better prepared to deal with these threats. But again, is this another, is that 15%, you know, subject to that false sense of security that we were talking about earlier? Um, you guys have any insight on that? You guys want have an opinion? Nope. So employees security awareness is on the rise, uh, but users are still not adequately skilled for the role of cyber defense. So I think what I'm reading here is, is that CISOs are becoming more aware of all the threats, right? But their employees 
are not and they don't understand. And that is why a higher percentage of CISOs think that their employees are going to be a threat to their business and their job more so than some criminal getting in from halfway around the world. The data goes on to show 60% of the survey respondents believe employees understand their role in protecting their organization. Um, but 56% of the CISOs consider human error to be the organization more in your face. Like they, they, awareness. They can't, right? yeah, they, they can't not see this happening now. And, and, and they, they know that that's their bottleneck and the thing that they, they have the least amount of control over. And one of the things I've harped on on this show probably over a dozen times is how people deliver their security and awareness training. And one of the things I highlight here, um, you know, it's only half of the global CISO survey, but it's 700 of the 1400 companies. They admit that they have increased the frequency of their cybersecurity trainings for employees, right? Because we know that these once a year, twice a year, once a quarter platforms or ways of delivering this information do not work. Um, you're just, you know, checking a box in my opinion. Um, so it's, it's encouraging to see that companies are adopting uh, better, more effective security and awareness training programs in their organizations. Um, so we also have long-term hybrid work and the great resignation make protecting data a top new challenge for CISOs. Um, and this just talks about things that we've talked about in the past. Randy, I remember you talking a couple of weeks ago, if it wasn't last week, about employee offboarding plans and things like that. Um, and that's really the, the challenge, I think, that companies are facing with the great resignation is getting these, making sure that we're properly handling, you know, people leaving. Um, what did you guys pull out of this? Anything? Uh, quick to go back to the the last point. You You're know, not allowed to go back. You should have talked earlier. <laughs> oh no, because you you transitioned right over. Um, you know, there's a saying in IT that says, you know, um, it's always DNS, and I would want to say it's always the employee. Um, right. Even looking at the last article we talked about with the Texas and how there was somebody wrote a you know wrote a programming language on on the web and it accidentally exposed all of this information. So um, it's usually going to be something that it's a human error. And as we've talked about in the show before, usually when these cyber attacks happen, it could have been prevented. It's just somebody was either lazy, someone emailed the wrong person or the wrong attachment, clicked on something. Um, so just wanted to mention that as well. So part of the, what we're talking about here with the great resignation is a lot of these CISOs feel like compromised credentials are, are going to lead to an attack, right? So either an employee leaving the company whose credentials were eventually exposed and those credentials were never, you know, deactivated, um, or, you know, they inadvertently ex expose it um, where they got fished. It looked like, you know, your email login page and you just gave cyber criminals your email address uh, and your password to get in. And, a lot of times they can be the same password for your VPN and stuff like that, mm -hmm. too. So um, this gives cyber criminals a way in. And that's, I think, the biggest thing that CISOs are worried about are these employees doing this stuff, right? Um, that's why it's important to have this layered approach that we talked about. Monitoring yeah. for these logins, monitoring for this stuff is very important. It doesn't 
this stuff doesn't happen by default. You need professionals who know how to evaluate your environment and say, okay, here, here's what we need to do. And here's, here are the things we need to put in place in order to monitor who's logging in and, you know, where they're coming in from and things like that. Like this is all stuff that can be done, but it's not going to be done by getting a password manager and endpoint protection. Mm -hmm. There's far more advanced tools that are required for this stuff. But again, if you really want to increase your cybersecurity maturity posture, these are the things that we're talking about, that layered approach. Um, so you know when somebody's banging away, you know, at, at, at the front door trying to use an employee's credentials to get into your network. Anything else you guys want to add? No, I just wanted to add, like, I, I had the same feeling on that. Like, to me, that was that was a partial cop-out. I mean, yes, you, you don't have very much control over your employees and what they do and, and how they may respond to things like that. But you absolutely have control over making sure that things are monitored, uh, that you have other layers in place so that, you know, if those credentials were exposed, that there's an MFA component in there so somebody can't just, you know, walk in the front door. Um, so to me, that was a partial cop-out from from the, these, these CISOs. And, you know, yes, it's no, a big a deal, but you, you have some control. Yeah, and to add to that, you you also have control over, you know, um, your data declaring it. If you use 365, you know, declaring it, is this can this never leave the company? Is this allowed to be, you know, with security labels, things like that? Is this allowed to leave the company? You know, things like that. There's a lot you can do there, which with Microsoft talking about that all the time, doesn't surprise me that, that there's more awareness, you know, in this area also. So I guess the big thing that I want to take away from what Ryan just commented there about it being a cop out, I have a little bit of a different perspective. Number one, just because you have the title of CISO doesn't mean you know everything about security. Number one, like a lot of CISOs that I know were CIOs and I get, I would imagine that a lot of people surveyed here were not security officers. They were probably more like CIOs who were, basically answering as a CISO where they play the role as the CISO in their company, which you shouldn't be doing if you're a CIO. CIOs make the car go fast, right? They, you know, their job is to get things moving. It's not to secure them. And they have two totally different, almost conflicting roles to play for an organization. You know, a CIO needs to make things work, make things efficient. A CISO needs to make sure that the baby's strapped in the car seat and you're doing things the right way. Um, and a lot of times when the security guy is like, hey, we don't have the baby in the car seat the right way, that pisses off the CIO, the infrastructure guys, because their job is just to make things work. Um, so just to have that perspective, number one. Number two, these, these CISOs are going through or these people surveyed are going through a process just like we have in our businesses of uncovering all these things that we need to do for proper security. And I think that that's what's going on here. We're literally watching their journey of them realizing what they need to do in their businesses and they're understanding things at a, at a deeper level. I don't necessarily think it's a cop out. I think it's more ignorance on their part that they just don't understand this stuff at the level that we do. Right. And that's why we do this podcast, because we understand these things at a level that most people don't understand. But we understand that the world needs to get to where the four of us are, where our brains operate every day. The rest of the world needs to get there. We are we are years ahead of where most people are at in terms of what what security needs to be and where it's going to be um, 
this is why we do this show because we want to educate people and we want to get people the information to know that this is where the goalpost is now. You're 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 not even in the stadium. You got to get in the stadium and then like you know, and that goalpost is going to keep moving. Nobody's disputing that. But that's kind of my perspective. These guys are not these guys are just learning this stuff. They're understanding what they have to do. You know, they're getting better security and awareness training programs in place. They're putting technology in like MFA and things like that. But they're not talking about zero trust yet. You don't hear anything about zero trust in this article. Um, and we know that that's where the world's moving to. Right. So, um, you know, I just want to toot our horn a little bit because I think a lot of times we get in the middle of, of this stuff and think that everybody sees it the way that we see it. Um, but at the end of the day, we are providing a service here on this program for people to understand we still have a long way to go and we're here to help you get there. Um, ransomware. So I want to skip over to the last one because I want to wrap up the show. But this is the interesting one that I really wanted to talk about. Um, it says, while CISOs feel slightly pressured slightly less pressure, board buy-in remains precarious as cyber risk worries business leaders. So 49% of CISOs feel that expectations on their role are excessive. That's down from 57% last year. So again, I feel like this is the CISOs understanding the situation and understanding what's involved. And while you, when you, when you don't understand something, it can seem really complex and it can seem like it's a lot. But as you understand it and you get your head around it, it doesn't seem as bad. And I think that's the reflection in these numbers that we're seeing. Uh, and then it goes on to say, however, the perceived lack of alignment with the boardroom has increased with only 21% of CISOs worldwide strongly agreeing that their board sees eye to eye with them on issues of cybersecurity. When considering cyber risk, global CISOs listed significant downtime, disruption to operation, and impact on business valuation as top board concerns. I agree with this, but I also think this is why, look, the board, if you're a publicly traded company, the board has, has one goal, and that's to increase shareholder value. And all the things that they highlighted here are things that increase shareholder value. They make the company more operationally efficient, you know, with the hopes of making them more profitable. Security comes into play here, and that's a big overhead, and it typically can slow down efficiencies and make you feel like you're less profitable. Sans a cyber attack, you probably will be less profitable. If you have a cyber attack, you're going to be glad that you had this stuff. What are you guys seeing in these in these numbers? I Do you see it the way I see it in terms of what they're laying out yeah. here? Because... I think this is why the SEC is coming down on publicly traded companies and saying you have to have a cybersecurity readout and submit it in your in your quarterly filings. So 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 you're each of these people are leaders. Really, this to me, this is a leadership issue because your company didn't just hire you to do what the board said. Yes, yeah, but in those businesses that in those businesses, a lot of that stuff is that way. I know, You're, but they, they also expect you to lead. So I would say to all the, the, the CISOs out there that feel like they're underrepresented, up, underrepresented, put a presentation together every month, take it to your board, get 20 minutes in that board meeting and let them know of the risk. 
Right. You let them know of the risk. And if they know what's going on, you'll get their buy-in and they'll be a thousand percent behind you. And that's why I think a lot of this is CIOs because CIOs are f- afraid to broach the subject of cybersecurity. But if they did it the way you just laid it out, just submitting this, the, the presentation, even if you don't get put on the agenda for the board, just submitting the presentation covers your ass as a CISO, mm-hmm. right? And, I, and that's why I think a lot of these people that were asked in this survey were really CIOs and not CISOs because it's the typical CIO answer where it's like, well, I'm not getting support from my board. Well, if it was your job and that your title was chief information security officer, not just chief information officer. Again, that's why I use the analogy of one guy's job is to make shit run and do all the things that they said here, you know, no downtime, no disruption operations, make things run faster. That's the job of a CIO. The security officer is to go, okay, what are all the standards that we need to follow and are we following them? Right. And that's the difference. Um, and unfortunately, if you work for an organization where the board doesn't understand this yet, you have a longer road to hoe than you know, a company that does get it. So good show, guys. Anything else you want to add on this? This is important stuff. Like this is you know, it's not going to seem like it at first to our audience, but this is probably one of the most important shows we've done this year. Well, um, and I, I think it goes that. to the to the fact that a lot of what we do is is education, whether it's you know uh, you know a CISO educating a board, whether it's you know us educating uh, you know a, a business owner. The, the, the biggest hurdle that we have right now is, is getting people to understand that the, the risk is real and it's not something that they can just you know pretend doesn't exist. I got to bounce, guys. I have a meeting that started a minute ago, so I got to end this show now. But here's real quick. Steven asked this, and I promise you, Steven, we're going to do a whole show on this. What makes for an effective employee cybersecurity training will be the topic of our show next week. So (laughs) I appreciate it, everybody. I got a a jet, so we'll see you in the next episode. Take care, everyone. See you later. Great show, y'all. Bye.